As I indicated to you, okay, it's Easter, but really, so what? We celebrate the resurrection. And how does that fit into the world that is around us? If you look at these last three or so years, we have gone through a lot in our personal lives, in our communities, in our church. We have experienced uh, disease. We've seen riots, not in the church, but we've seen these things. We, we see almost what we could call a dystopian rebellion going on. We see an absurd war going on. And now we are celebrating the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. How does this fit together? And really, what Paul brings out in Colossians here, which, and is my question for you, how does this crucified and raised Christ, the one that we are supposed to be raised with, how does it, or what does it, look like in us? About, about 50, it was over 50 years ago, I was a brand new Christian. Now that, I have to tell you, that does seem like, it doesn't make sense to me. I don't think I'm that old. Uh, but I was out here with Campus Crusade. And I think it was one year, maybe two years, after the Watts riots. So what did we do? Uh, there was a thousand of us college students up at Arrowhead Springs. And we went into Watts and South Compton, partnered up with local churches of all sorts, and going into the communities, doing the surveys door to door. Now, you have to realize, I was a, a very white college student from uh, Florida, the South. And, and I, I, have, I had a Southern accent. So this, this deacon, a local resident, he and I took a few streets, and he said, you take this side of the street, and I'll go on that side. I was by myself. I walk up on this porch, and it's a little house. Uh, it had a screen door. The, the door behind it was open, so I go knocking on that door, and there's no answer. Well, I knock again. Since the door is open, obviously somebody's there, and I hear this voice off to the side what do you want? And as I have looked, I noticed that I had not seen the elderly woman who was sitting there. So I thought, okay. So I started to tell her, we're here taking a survey, and uh, I wonder if you could ask, ask you some questions. And she said to me, I have no use for Whitey's religion. And she let me talk a little bit more and she did like Billy Graham. But as they then came around to talking about Christ, I found a sister in the Lord. She found a brother. We prayed together. Do the people around you have any use for your religion? This is what it comes back to. 
Colossians 3 describes for us what it should look like. And see this as something, it's not just an issue in my closet or in the privacy of my home with me by myself. It is in the context of the everybody around me. Because that's, that's what the putting off of the old man and putting on the new actually impacts. The first couple of chapters of Colossians very quickly just describe or establish the person in the work of Christ. And Paul is countering false teachers. He talks about our identity in Christ. We are in Christ. We are with Christ. As he says here, if then you have been raised up with Christ, this is how we should be seeing ourselves. This is how God sees us. But we should also realize that God is not the only one who should be seeing us in Christ if we are indeed there. Those who are closest to us should have a sense of the fact that this person they're living with, they're looking at, is in Christ. That's the challenge, too. Think about how John prayed for us. In John, excuse me, how Jesus prayed for us in John 17. I do not ask on behalf of these alone, but for those also who believe in me through their word, that they may all be one, even as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they, may, that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you sent me. You see how he prayed for you? And I guess I should ask at this point, well, it is Easter, Having been a pastor, there were folks that showed up on Easter and Christmas. They didn't show up other times. Are you in Christ? Do you know what that means? It means, first of all, that you not only acknowledge, but you you believe God, the sovereign creator of all that is. If you have me come back again, I'd love to do a Sunday school class on Ephesians 1, where it shows us the sovereignty of God and his predestining us for his blessings. But are you in, do you believe God? If you believe God, then you've also come to grips with your sin that you cannot pay for. You're, you'll be honest with yourself. And at that point is where you and I have believed upon the Lord Jesus Christ. This is what we're celebrating through the Holy Week. Him actually paying for our sins and God accepting that payment. Him rising from the dead and us rising with him in that newness of life. This is what Paul talks about in Galatians 2. You know the passage. But hear it again. He said, I have been crucified with Christ, and it is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and delivered himself up for me. 
Now, all of us know this, but do you know it? This is the struggle for me. I can feel a little bit of embarrassment as I read Paul's words, the life that I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God. Do I always think of that? Do you always think of that? Or do you go under your own steam? And you see, the, the description is us living in Christ now. And it continues. So I have three points for us today. Raised up with raised up from, and raised up to, as we look at this passage. And it would be easy to do three or four sermons on this text that I have before us. But I'm going to try to hit the high points. He says, if you have been raised up with Christ, he is going from the indicative. We hear some today who emphasize that we must preach the indicative. But what the Holy Spirit does in all of the books is he establishes the indicative and moves to the imperative. You might, some of you might remember the question, it depends on what is, is. Well, what God through the Holy Spirit shows us is what is, does. Because what is, is, is a new creation. One that is in Christ. He says we're raised up from slavery, being a slave to sin, a slave to our passions, a slave to our desires, a slave to our lust. You know what the definition of lust is? It's the desire to sin. And we're set free from that. We need to remember that. So as we come to Easter, do you know how we then participate in his death and resurrection? Have you thought about that? Since that's what we are called to, we participate in his resurrection by the life that we are now living. This is how we show it. We show the power of that resurrection because we're in Christ. He uses the imperative He says, seek the things above, or literally keep seeking the things above. Our seeking these things is not a one point in time. Your faith in Christ is not a one point in time, but it is an ongoing thing. And I remind you, the Apostle Paul, he understood this. You remember what he said to the Philippians? He says, I do not consider myself to have obtained it yet, but this I do, forgetting what lies behind, I press on for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. This is how we look at our lives. This is how we move. In one sense, as Christ is seated above and we are tethered to him, This is what draws us heavenward. So Paul says here, set your mind on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. Do you all daydream? Just, yeah. I did a lot when I was younger. My grades showed it in school. 
I love a question Sinclair Ferguson asked, though. What do you think about when you have nothing else to think about? Well, I'll tell you something. If you are meditating on the word of God on a regular basis like you and I should be, if you're thinking on the things of God, then as you come to those moments when you're, say, driving and you've turned your radio off, your mind's going to be going to some of those things. If the word of God God abides in you, dwells in you richly, then those are going to be the places you visit in your thoughts. And wow, you know, when you come into contact with a person like that, you can tell something because when they're pressed, when they're pushed, what comes out isn't anger, but it's Christ. Because he fills us. Your private time of devotions should not be an issue where you come out grumpy or angry or impatient. You've been meditating on the wrong things if that's what happens. The indicative are the facts of who you and I are, what we are. But it's followed by the imperative of how what we are then lives and moves. So that's being raised up with Christ. The second thing is raised up from. And as you look at the verses 5 through 11, you have two lists there. That first list, well, and let me just say this as, a, as an introduction to that. Verses 5 to 11 sort of give us a job description. I'll bet none of you have ever gone to a, a new job. And part of the description of the job are the things that you can no longer do. You you just focus on what you're supposed to be doing. But you see, in order for us to be doing what God has called us to, there's stuff we have to let go of. There's stuff that we have to die to. Otherwise, it keeps getting in the way. It's like putting on the armor of God. You cannot put on the armor of God if you're wearing the clothing of the old man, the deeds of the flesh. It won't fit. It won't work. But he gives us this description, this description of to be keep seeking Like the Lord said in Matthew 6, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And this is more than just a charge to us, but it is a a calling that we are to step out of the night, out of the darkness, and into the light. This becomes the path, the direction of our lives, because our lives are in God. You remember Paul said it is, he, he said to the Athenians, it is in God whom we live and move and have our being. So the first thing he says is to consider or to reckon yourselves dead to these things. That first list, as you go through it, I think the summary of it is the last phrase. It's idolatry. It is all an expression of self-worship. 
and how it manifests itself. And he says, put this to death. Stop this completely. Turn from it. And don't miss that he says that on account of these things, the wrath of God will come. I cannot help but wonder if what we see going on in our culture around us and this, maybe it's going to be called the trans culture with all of the hatred that is boiling up. I can't help but wonder if this is part of the judgment of God upon our culture. And I'd have to say, even then the churches that have capitulated to these things. I mean, this is what it says in Romans 1. And the foolishness that God gives people over to is not a peaceful utopia, a happy place where there's, there's no conflict, but it's utter chaos, dystopia. But that's, that's an opinion. Uh, as you look at these, He identifies for us, and you remember I said, you've come to a reckoning with your own sin, and you can't pay for it. Verse 6, on account of these, the wrath of God is coming. In these, you too once walked when you were living in them. That means that every single person born on this earth, other than one, has walked in these sins to some degree. but now you must put them all away. The second list is interesting because in a sense, the anger, wrath, malice, slander, obscene talk, these are the fruits of the idolatry of the, our worship of idolatry, of, of that previous list. And these things express themselves in our relationships around us. If a person is given to any of that in that first list, you're going to see these fruits from the second list in those relationships that are close, they're closest to. And he says, get rid of these things. Stop these things. Don't even lie to each other. Verse 9. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. That's worth just looking at for a moment. The old self and its practices. In other words, what the old man did, what the sinful man does. He does what he is. That would have been a good answer. When that question was raised, what is, is, is. The old man does what he is. And you being new in Christ, now have put off that practice to put on a new practice. You find that description in First John, don't you? Where he talks about either you practice sin or you practice doing the will of God. 
And this is, this is what we aim at. This is where we go. And in addition, it's not just putting on the new man, but that new man is being renewed in the knowledge of God as you and I grow in not our knowledge about God, but our knowledge of God. Just like in your relationships, as you grow in your knowledge of each other, you learn to love one another, even though some of you have rough edges on you. But we're going to love you. We're going to learn about that. I don't even see my rough edges. But you see, as we grow in our knowledge of God, it renews and strengthens and encourages you and I in walking in that newness of life. And see what he says, as he says that we are created, that is being renewed in the knowledge after the image of its creator. That's God. And in God then, He's saying, here there is not Greek or Jew, circumcised, uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free, but Christ is all and in all. There is not a race in Christ. See, that was sin, where we made the distinction of races that don't exist in Christ. That's the product of rebellion to God. This is what we are raised up from. It's interesting. I I saw a quote, and I, I, I wish I could find it again to identify the Puritan pastor that said it. But he said in the last sermon of his life, he was, I think he either died in the pulpit or he died right after he preached. And he knew it was coming. He said, it's not the catastrophes that are sinful, but the lie, the lustful look, bitterness that are sin and sufficient for hell's fires. You don't have to do that first list. Just be bitter. And that is sufficient for God to punish us forever in hell. But which he put on Christ. Now the implication of this is that the more that you know Christ, the better you know Christ, the more that your life is going to be transformed. Romans 12, verse 2, do not be conformed to this world. In other words, stop trying to learn about everything about the world so that it shapes what you think and do. But be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what the will of God is. This is the... Now, I'm retired, but my wife's and my prayer is that we would be useful to God even at this stage. That's why I'm thankful that you all would invite me. Let me now then move to raised up two. And what you see then is the, the positive as we have put off 
the negative. This is what we actually move to. He says, put on then, and it is the indicative, and it is something that is ongoing. As God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, you see, this is our identity, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another. These are the fruits of being in Christ. This, we put on Christ. We seek to do what Christ calls us to. And the result is showing compassion, showing kindness, being forgiving because we are conscious of how much we have been forgiven of. And if that seems like an alien statement to you this morning, just look at yesterday and think of the times where your heart, your thoughts were rebellious to God, where you were turning away to a direction, an attitude, a memory where you shouldn't be. Particularly if you ran across somebody or heard somebody, or if you listened to the news. <laughs> I, I, I struggle with that. It should be a good time for prayer. It should be a good time for humbling. But meekness, that's part of our identity in Christ. Bearing with one another. And if you've got a complaint against somebody in the church, forgiving each other. Go to them. That's another message. You see, and as you do these things, what happens is that you're letting the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. That's what he calls us to. Which indeed you were called, get the context, in one body, that is the body of Christ. And be thankful. Then he says, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. Your best teachers probably are some of your oldest folks who have been walking with the Lord a long time, who have been meditating on and learning to live the word. The word has dwelt in them richly. Then they can teach they can admonish one another in wisdom and singing psalms. You see the direction of it. Whenever there is admonishing without this peace, without, shall we say, a thankfulness, without a humility and a meekness, it's probably because they've got the head knowledge, but they haven't translated it into their hearts and their actions it's easy to critique somebody and tell them what they're doing wrong. But it's more effective when you've actually seen God working in you and showing you. And thankfulness in your hearts to God. So that in whatever you do, you do it in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ.
you know, as, as we think about this, and I'll stop at this point. That love that we put on, it's what holds us together, even if we don't fit well sometimes. And we, and we learn. But I come back to this question. You have come this morning to celebrate the resurrection. And if you were to meet, it's funny, I still remember her name, a Rachel Johnson. And she said, I have no use for your religion. What would you say? Do the people around you have a use for your love of God? And I use the quote marks because it may not be genuine. This is how we respond to the prayer of our Lord for us. That they out there, and perhaps some in here, might know that he has risen from the dead because he dwells in you and you dwell in him. Let's pray. Father, we do thank you for this morning. We thank you for your word. Prayed at the beginning that you would sanctify your word to our hearts. And Lord, I prayed that you would guide my words so that the things that each of us hear would resonate within us. That perhaps in the light, the mirror of your word, we could see our lives and see places that you want us to step out of the darkness to walk in the light. That you want us to put on this new man. You want us to live the imperatives that come because of your indicatives in our lives, what you have done. And Father, we are thankful that this calling upon us is renewed and it is new. So we pray that you work in us. We pray that you would use this body of believers as a bright light of Christ in the midst of everyone that they have relationships with. That those people around us would have a sense that there's something to this Easter. There's something about this resurrection that is celebrated that is different. That we may proclaim as your servants your glory. And Father, for those who have made their semi-annual visit. It's Easter. Grant them no peace until they surrender in their sin to the Lord Jesus Christ. 
that they might then know your peace. We ask these things in Christ's name. Amen.